I declare that the Lord has given me this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I've been filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that's precisely what God will do for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it will come to pass that the word will enter your heart. Amen. It will give you light. Amen. It will give you direction. Amen. It will heal you in every area. Amen. I'm so excited this is when I say that. It will heal you in every area. It will remove every affliction from your soul. Amen. It will break every drug addiction. Amen. No matter where you are listening to this from, addiction is broken in your life in Jesus' name. Amen. It will heal diabetes. Amen. It will heal cancer. Amen. It will heal HIV. Amen. It will heal coronavirus. Amen. It will heal coronavirus. Amen. COVID-19 is dead Amen. by the entrance of the word Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and look at what salvation is again. Now let's open our Bibles. Today we are going to continue again looking at what salvation is. Um, I'll just give a short summary of what we discussed extensively last time. But before we do that, I think let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse... um, Okay, let's just take about... Eight verses, let's start from verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, that was Paul speaking, and another is building upon it. But let each one be careful how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident for the day we show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon remains, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work is bound up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. Now, why I read all of that, just to get a bit of context, where actually I was going is where we are going to get to now the next two verses. He said, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know you are a temple of God? And it says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, please bear that in mind. You are the temple of God. You are a temple. I believe you use the word a temple rather than the temple here to let us know that individually we are temples to God. Collectively, we are the temple of God. Individually, each one of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
and the Spirit of God dwells inside us. What I want to explain today is to, if you notice something, Paul here was talking about people building and he was talking about preachers. That's why he talked about the fact that he planted, Apollos watered, they are all servants of Christ, and God was causing increase. But the emphasis is that each person must be careful how he deals with the temple of God. That, that's the teaching for today. We are talking about what salvation is, and last time we explained the aim, the purpose of salvation. I spoke extensively, and I reminded us that there is no point arguing about what will happen if I backslide. We are not planning to backslide. I hope you're getting my point. You know, there's no point discussing what will happen if I stop following Christ. That is not the aim. God does not want people who are looking for the barest minimum to do to get into heaven because they are so earthly minded. Can I explain that a bit? The, the danger, the problem in Christianity today, I have, res, I have observed it, is this earthly mindedness. People are very earthly minded. And so everything is interpreted in the light of their focus on the world, in the world. That is, they are focused on temporal things. They are focused on material things. No, we had a discussion the other day. My brethren and I, my alumni fellowship, one brother said something. He was saying, Christians, you don't give up. You understand? That, and, which is a beautiful message. Should we give up? Of course not. All right? But he now said something which everybody responded. He said, no, bros, take it easy. <laughs> and of course, very nice brother. He said that, oh, he's sorrow that he's still learning too. He's a pastor, but of course, who's not learning? We're all learning, okay? We're all learning. So he said that Stephen gave up, and that was why he died. You know the Stephen I'm talking about? The Stephen, Stephen? Our Stephen. <laughs> so brother said, no, no, <laughs> no. He didn't, he didn't die because he gave up. And what he meant was that, of course, somebody must have preached that, that Stephen said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so if that was given up, if he had not given up, God would have um, uh, you know, kept him and raised him. Which is not a lie in that God can keep anybody. Paul was stoned, you understand? And God said, you are not going anywhere yet. I don't want to talk about Stephen now in details. But what I just want to bring out is with the discussion we now had about it. We all said something. I said, you see the problem. Okay, that was a comment I passed. I said, the problem is that, you see, we are so earthly minded. You know, we look at it, you give up, and then now you are dead. I said, you don't understand. The man went into a higher realm. He saw something better than what you have seen. You have seen prosperity here as a target. Stephen said, yeah, see the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, if you know the way Peter and somebody like John, let's not even talk about Stephen now, how close they were with Jesus. If Jesus mistakenly opened one door, through which they will pass and join him. Do I need to tell you what they will do? As soon as they see that door, boom, they will pass. They say, John, I'll see you later. Take care. He said, say, behold, your mother is you. He told me I'm going. <laughs> Peter will leave John behind, sharp, sharp. Why? Because, you see, they were looking forward to his coming. When he said he will come back, that was what they labored for all their lives. Peter said that, let us do this so we can hasten his coming back. When Paul understood, he said to be with Christ is what? Better. But you know, we are so... Estimated. That was the question we are, me and my brother had that day. We said our major problem, when we start saying things like that, is that for us, breakthrough is what? A car. Breakthrough is what? A house. Breakthrough is what? I can take my wife and children 
All right? My husband and I can travel with our kids and go for a holiday in Europe. That's what we call breakthrough. You know, you just married. You say, Jesus, don't come now. You didn't come all this while you're not married. Now, now you won't come, come. Forget that thing. Say, Jesus, I need one month. Even you, it's in the Bible like that. I just took a wife. I can't go to battle. Then that's our reason. Let me just tell you. If you married yesterday, hmm? and you see the glory of Jesus, you will leave your wife behind and say, oh girl, we'll see later. The glory of Jesus is captivating. It makes you forget every other thing. The problem in today's Christianity, I'm convinced about it, in summary, is worldliness. I mean it both in the bad way and in the factual way. What I mean by the factual way is that sometimes it's pure ignorance. We have been preached to so much as if what God is trying to do is to give us better living environments. What God is trying to do is to make us richer. I said the other day, yes, Jesus died to deliver us from poverty. But that is not the primary reason he died. All right? All those things are things for use while we are on the earth. Do you follow my point? Let's bear that in mind. And we will have enough of them to use. But whatever we are doing, we should be heaven-minded. We should realize that we have a home in heaven. We should realize that we are not citizens of the earth. Do you get what I'm going to explain here? So, you no, know, I went to the trying to explain something. So many people, they are so earthly-minded, and they are worried about eternity. They just want to have it secure while they live full blast in their own flesh on the earth. That is what they think salvation is. Just secure for me a pathway into a blissful eternity. Then on this earth, I live the way I want to live. And that is why they hold on to funny doctrines. Doctrines that tell them that it doesn't matter how you live. Your salvation is intact. Now, Please, I'm not here to talk about that doctrine. I just want to explain why some people like it. The joy for many people is the comfort it gives them while they enjoy the temporal earth, not in serving God, but in serving themselves, in following worldly um, standards, enjoying, in quotes, in quotes now, life according to worldly standards, and then eternity is secure. So that's why they enjoy that, that kind of doctrine. But like we said last time, if we understood the thing that God is actually doing, you can never be comfortable with that doctrine. It is not possible to be. You cannot be comfortable with that doctrine if really you understand what God is doing. You can't be. You will understand that what God is actually doing, all right, every moment you are not getting better as a Christian, you are frustrating his purpose. Did you hear what I said? Every moment you are not getting better, as a believer, you are frustrating the counsel of God in your life. You must understand that God has a purpose in everybody's life. Each individual, God has a purpose. Please bear it in mind. Forget this heaven thing. You will get there. Somebody say amen. So that's not what we're discussing. We are discussing that while you're on the earth, is his purpose being satisfied? That's salvation. Focus on that. That is, if you of today... If you of today is not better than you of three years ago, no, just three years ago, last year, you are frustrating the purpose of God. If you of today is not better than you of last month, you are frustrating the purpose of God. That's what I wanted to bear in mind. Forget this issue of uh, if I die, will I get to heaven? Please stop thinking about it. Like I said last time, you know, Paul said what? 
I buffet my body. I put my body under. Why? Lest I, I, after preaching to others, I become, you know, a castaway. I become laid aside. You know, they drop me like a useless garment. No longer useful. And many people are walking in such a manner that God will have no choice but to drop them as a useless garment. So you know where they get comfort from? The doctrine that says that, don't worry, we'll see you in heaven. Remember, you know, the truth is, I know I tweeted something, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, it was something during the week. It just, thing just dropped in my mind. I just realized that many people don't care. They know the truth. Now I'm saying this so that you will not be like that. I'm saying this so that I will not be like that. Many people don't care whether God uses them or not. They don't care. Just bless me. Do you know what I said? All the stories you are telling about God's purpose for their lives, they really don't care about it. Just bless me. If it requires me to give you 10% of the blessing, it's a good deal. Just bless me. Okay, you, my pastor said you want January 1 too. Hey, it's not a problem. Just multiply February, February zone. That's it. That is why if you're a preacher, please, I'm begging you, stop walking against Christ by preaching doctrines that gratify the flesh. You are not serving Christ if you keep on putting what Christians will gain in front of them as motivation for righteousness. You are working for the flesh. You are not serving Christ if you keep on glorifying, that is, lifting up personal gratification as motivation for Christians to serve God. You are not serving Christ. Your messages are weakening the spiritual ability of believers. You may not realize it. You are weakening the ability to please God. And this is sad side. All you need to do is tune what we call Christian TV. It is so painful. Some of the most popular Christian TVs, I can't watch them. I can't watch them. I can't. Because once you put on the TV, it's like, look, this is the way... And listen, if you are preaching success as a believer, as a preacher, let me just warn you also. Don't preach for Satan, no. Be careful you are not preaching for Satan. Again, what do I mean? How do you define success? How? The truth is that only God knows who is successful and who is not. Amongst us of us, amongst us as children Christians. You know, I read something um, Oswald Chambers said. Either it was posted somewhere or because this week I got, um, there's this complete collection I've always had. All right, I've had it, but then the CD, I have it on. I have it on paper, then I have it in CD. But it's an old CD, so you know the way it is. The software does not run on Windows 10. You know, so I've been having problems getting the software. But I know, make a long story short, I now got the complete collection in another format, all right, which I can use. This I was very, very happy. So I think maybe that's where I read it from. Or my wife has been reading. She scatters Oswald Chambers all over the house, so sometimes <laughs> I pick it and read. But somewhere along this week, I read Oswald Chambers. And it says something. That we have this tendency, tendency to do things now. I can't remember his words exactly, so let me just try and remember the much I can, even if I have to use my own words. That we have this tendency to do things that... Okay, let me explain it. Maybe I would like to make a million naira. So I can give it to the gospel. 
And to me, it sounds good, right? He said, it is not working for God in the best way that is important to God. It is that whatever you are doing glorifies him. And that he's the one that knows what glorifies him. I don't know whether you're catching that. That is, it is possible that you're sitting in one position, not earning that one million naira. You understand? It's where he takes glory from. So that's his own problem. It's not yours. That you should be more concerned about glorifying God. Let me use words now, add it to it, in this body. Than doing things that look so brilliant and so great for him. That your great work for God is not what matters. Is that he's glorified, but that he's glorified in what you are doing. That sometimes what glorifies God is that it takes, now I'm not explaining it because I understood what he was saying. So let me just, because I can't remember his exact words, so allow me to explain it. That sometimes his glory is that he takes a man like Moses, very influential, very successful, and takes him from the palace, puts him first among slaves, then relocates him to the desert, and there he disappears. That's where he gets glory from. How does he get his glory? You are not his glory calculator. Did you hear what I said? You are not his glory calculator. He's the one that does it, that, does it, that, that, that knows what glorifies him. For example, he made it clear that Peter was going to glorify him by the kind of death he would die. Did you hear what I said? What do we call glory? Let me explain. You know, Peter was in prison. The church prayed, and then they released him. For us, that is what? A testimony. Praise the Lord. Our God is able. The night before they were to execute Peter, an angel came and delivered him. Oh, hallelujah. God of miracles. Now my papa, oh. Then another time they catch Peter, said, God that did it before, we will do it again. This time around, they took the guy and executed him. I don't know whether it's true or not. We don't have good records, but the tradition is that he was crucified. And then they took him upside down. And we were wondering, like, wait, wait, the God that delivered him before, what happened to him? But the Jesus who he was serving told him from the beginning, there's a kind of death that will glorify me. And the truth is that of all 12 disciples, uh, apostles, those foundational apostles, only one died naturally. And in fact, <laughs> well, two of you laughing. Our brother said he has not even died. That's John. Every single one of them died through martyrdom. James was the first. And Thomas was killed in India. In a place where, this is the interesting part, where he is worshipped essentially till today. Were it not that those people were Christians, they would have literally been bowing down in his, at his grave. Till today, they will still tell you to where the grave of Thomas is in India. He brought the gospel to India at that time, not now. But he died. Why God donated all of them to that kind of death, I don't know. I preached at a point in time that is, I suspect, that's what I said in the preaching, that he wanted to show to people that the way I died for you, my servants are also dying for you. That's the only thing I could make out of it. Because to deliver, he can deliver. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, he can deliver. He can. He can deliver. 
But he chose not to. One after the other. They killed Thomas in a very funny way. Of course, what's the reason? Simply because he's preaching another religion. That's why they killed him. God made sure that nobody was killed for his stole money. Yeah, in Bezu Church Fund. They were fighting over who married the woman and then they stabbed each other. No. It was simply as persecution for the sake of the gospel. Back to Oswald Chambers. And that he chose as glory. He chose that as what? Glory. Please, Christians, let's reason like believers. In fact, I have two people in mind. I think I should mention it. They say, you are still in Nigeria. Better go and pray. Let God speak to you. I have two people that do that. You know, that, that's why I wrote the book. What's the name of this book? Guided by the Spirit. That's why I wrote the book. I said, this, I heard God thing. It annoys me. Please, if God speaks to you, be very slow to tell me. I don't like to hear it. I'm not saying God never speaks to people. If you bring a woman to me, say, Pastor Banky, we want to get married. And I'm, I mean, I'm joking with you. How do you guys meet? He said, I know the Lord began to speak to me. I will almost slap you. Were you planning to tell me that? The way the, the, way the smile came out, very guiltily. Well, you can tell me that I won't slap you because I want to hear things like that. <laughs> At least from, from people. Amen? <laughs> now, no, I really get angry. Now, please, get me. It's not necessary, don't tell me. Just say you like the woman. If you want to give a testimony one day, maybe we'll hear. Now, you know God sometimes speaks to people. Yeah, he does. I mean, I've told stories of uh, testimonies of people that I heard. And the Lord spoke to them clearly. So I'm not saying he doesn't. It's just that most times believers really, what is speaking to them is their spirit. Can I just digress for a moment? If you did not, if you did not hear a voice specifically, you know, God speaking to you clearly, please don't tell me God spoke to you. You know why? He did not. Before you say God spoke to me, hear a voice. If it's inside you, something pops up, just say my spirit said. Are you getting my point? Say, I perceive. Please, I hope you're getting my point. What do you do? I perceive. Say, my spirit said to me. Don't say God said to you. It's not right. Christians do it a lot. Please, I just want to drop that for you. Just say, my spirit said, because your spirit speaks. It does. It speaks almost in words. That's why David, in fact, I thought about it a few days ago. It is as if God created us so that we can talk to ourselves. And when you hear yourself talk to you, it's that you are standing in front of a mirror. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So that's why you hear David say things like, he used the expression in which he's talking to himself. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You see the man talking to himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Do not forget any of his benefits. Do you get my point? So you see a man doing what? He's talking to himself. So it's alright for you to say, I began to say to myself, or my spirit said to me, once a voice is coming inside you, just take it as what? Your spirit. This is, this is my reason why I say that. Please, it's a digression, alright? I'm gonna, I know exactly where I went off. It's because of people who say that, Go and let God talk to you when they've already made up their mind what God will say. 
which is disappear from Nigeria. Leave Ghana. Because we talk as if those Nigerians that do these things. Lesotho, you get my point? Say, let God lead you out of Lesotho or Eswatini. How do they call it? Is it Eswatini or whatever it is? <laughs> Please. It's not the Nigerians. Arabs too do it. As much as many Muslims hate America, God speaks to them to go there. If you know what I'm trying to say. So please, eh? it's not just Nigerians. Okay? So I know where I went into that. So let me, let me finish the point I'm trying to make. So instead of you telling me that God said to you, just said my spirit said. Because before it can, when you hear the prophets in the Bible, that thing we say God said, God said, they were not hearing the way we are hearing. Can I hear will tell you that sometimes he, he, he almost he asks people, did you hear that? He would think somebody else should have heard it. The prophet would say, the word of the Lord came to me saying. They, it, wasn't, it wasn't imagination. They couldn't confuse it. They, could, they were so certain of the tenses he used. How he spoke to them. Please, I hope you are getting my point. Please, brethren. Reserve God said to me for only that. If you had a vision, say, I had a vision. If you had a dream, say, I had a dream. The reason why I'm emphasizing that dream and vision thing is that because both dreams and visions need to be what? Interpreted. And many times, I've, listen, I've heard people interpret visions. They would, in fact, I have about three in my mind now. When I was in a particular church once, a man came, a prophet, and he described the vision. And as soon as he was done with describing the vision, I was so excited. Father, thank you. Thank you, you sent a prophet to this congregation. I was so excited. Then he began to interpret the vision. The degree to which I was excited was the degree to which I became excited. Some people who don't know English, you don't know what I said. Don't worry, Cambridge will put it after about five years. <laughs> that was how I became depressed. The opposite of excited. I was let down. My wife was with me that day. The interpretation, I don't know what we we'll discussed afterwards. The interpretation was wrong. I don't have a doubt in my mind he got it wrong. And events showed that he got it wrong. I believe that God gave him a real vision for, a, for the people of God. And he came to deliver it, and I was there that day, and I was so excited. Because, you know, there are things, times you know that this word needs to come. But when he began to interpret it, I felt sad. Let me give you another example. Once I heard um, Kenneth Copeland teach. I, he preached this message. It was a series of messages in intercession sometime in the late 70s, I think. But I heard the messages... In um, 1991, 92, that's when I heard the messages. Beautiful messages. Then when he began to teach, explain the vision he saw, he didn't say anything like God said. He just said he saw this vision and he described the vision about the giant red snake that he saw. And he knew that that snake represented communism. And then a hand came from heaven with a, an instrument, a knife or something, a sword, and chopped it into pieces and then the rest of the, you know, from the tail down to the neck, suddenly disappeared, and the neck turned around to see that most of his body was gone, and he was surprised. So when he gave it his interpretation, I was a young person that I'm talking about, 1992, all right? 
I was quite young. If I just left school, I left school in 91. So after listening to the whole series, I told myself, no, this interpretation is not right. I gave it another interpretation, and I was correct. Events showed that what God showed to him, exactly what happened. I didn't see the vision. Now you might say, oh, you understood more than the man. No. What happened is that Jesus says, there are things I want to tell you, you can't bear them now. So there are things that God will show. You can't interpret them until the time for the fulfillment. I, at that 90-something, the earth was closer to the fulfillment. And I could see the events. It had to do with the end of communism. And I realized that the head of the snake could not be a physical head. It has to be a spiritual head. Just like Jesus is the head of his body. So I saw this as a, as a, as, as a, prophecy, a prophetic word concerning the end of communism. And it happened just like he saw in the vision. What I'm, ta- what I'm telling the story is that the interpretation he gave had to do with the rapture. Had to do with evan- end-time evangelism. But when I saw it, I said, no, sir. What God told you is that he's going to end communism. It's not about evangelism. Evangelism will happen. But the, the, the evangelism thing is buried inside something else. And shortly after that, what I interpreted happened all over the place. But he said, what was his own um, issue? He had a vision in the 70s. When communism was what? Strong. It was difficult to conceive what I was able to conceive because by the time I was you know, listening to this, Glassnot, Perestroika, all those things that uh, Gorbachev put in place, that happened. Poland was already able to riot and say they are not doing communism again, even though the first one was crushed, you understand? But eventually, it fell apart. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So I could see all of this, so it was easier for me to interpret Please, I hope you're getting my point. Now, what I'm going to say is that, so, visions need to be interpreted. If a vision was not interpreted for you, you need to seek counsel in interpreting it. Dreams are like that, too. You may have had dreams, and you are confused as to the interpretation. Sometimes, as soon as you've had the dream, you, God will help. This has happened to me many times. Most times I've had a dream, apart from one, if he had an interpretation, I knew instantly. As soon as I wake up, I knew I would know what it meant, what it means. Usually based on understanding of scriptures. But the other one that I said I didn't know what it meant, it was because there was no way to know what it would mean until it would have happened. It took me eight years to understand what I dreamt about. Eight or nine years. In fact, I think ten years almost. I had the dream in ninety-three. It finally seemed, at least the conclusion of that dream happened only after I came to Enugu. And I came to Enugu in the year 2000. So sometime afterwards. But the dream being there helped me to interpret the events of my life. Otherwise, I would have thought I was confused. It had to do with ministry. What I saw in the dream, as soon as I woke up, I knew it had a meaning. But the full interpretation made no sense for the next 8 to 10 years. Well, it, it, it began to make sense after like five years. You know, as you are watching, you are seeing it being fulfilled. Then it finally concluded about nine, ten years afterwards. So I'm just helping believers to understand. So you don't get confused. Sometimes, you know, you know our brethren, if you are there, you know yourself, that say their congregation is the one that Jesus will come and meet on the earth. Some of us are like that. Some of you came from a church like that. They said God told our founding father that this church is the one he's coming to meet. The first day I heard it, I said, which Jesus Christ are you talking about? Is it the same one that died for all of us? You guys must be joking. And like I say humorously, I said, 
They don't smoke weed in heaven. Forget it. They don't smoke. Jesus doesn't say such things. He said, our founding father had a vision. I said, he misinterpreted it. He misinterpreted. Sometimes God, did say, God said one thing. You hear something else. For example, Nathan. Nathan came to David. He said, your son will build me a house. Both Nathan and David were confused. David was gathering gold and silver and precious metals and cedar and stones and everything for Solomon. And God said, did I send you Solomon? The son of David that built God a house came long after. And his name is who? Jesus. And we are now what? The house that he is building. That just by the way. So Christians, please, be careful when you start using the expressions God told me. Be very, very careful. I'm not saying it doesn't speak. I'm saying except he speaks clearly. If it's in your spirit, you heard it say, my spirit said. If it's a dream, say, I dreamt. I had a vision. I had this strong impression. Are you getting my point? Say it like that. I had this strong impression. That way we will be able to help you interpret it. Now, why did I say that? Because many times your spirit smokes. And when it is high on something, it will not say something to you. My friend told me, my friend lives in the U.S. He said that one man, I think he's in their church or somewhere, he divorced his wife after seven children or something. And married another woman or something. There was something he said, when I said, why did you do it? He said, God said you should do it. Everybody was confused. Like, Excuse me. God said you should leave your wife and seven children. He has a lot of children. Like seven. And when I married another woman. Why? He said, that was what God said he should do. I think in their church somewhere. In the U.S. And now we've bastardized God said. If you say, I felt strongly in my heart. When I saw this woman, I felt strongly that I should leave my wife and marry her, and start a new family. If you say it like that, eh, eh, we'll gather the men of God. Oh yeah? Anointing her. In the name of Jesus, come out! Come out! Come out! We rebuke you! <laughs> Do you follow my point? But when he said, God said, ah. He said, please, did God show you ID? Because, uh, did he photocopy it? Well, you know when you go to the bank, you show the ID, you make a photocopy of it, they will keep it. He said, did God show you ID? The Lord is good. That's just an aside. Now, please, let me complete that on my side. The reason is because, please, go and read the book. If you are listening to this, if you have not read it, just go to our website and download the book, Guided by the Spirit. It's free there to download. I think, I don't think it's more than just a few megabytes. It's free. You can download it. You can get a, a print copy if you are around here. All right? And please read it. Inside the book, I explained why you should purify your spirit. Until your spirit is pure, you can't get what God is saying clearly. You hear what I said? Until your spirit is pure, you cannot get clearly what God is saying to you. So your duty as a believer every day now, back to our message, all right? I think that somebody, I know a number of people that will call you and say, hey, where are you? You are still in that country. You are still in that village. Ah, please go and pray. Let God speak to you. If you are talking like that, you are walking in idolatry. I'm sorry, let me say it clearly. It's idolatry. Is that when you say that to five people? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. You cannot predict what God will say to me. Now, you know where we gather from? What gives God what? Glory. Sometimes, 
dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, is what he's saying. And that gives him glory. And that does not mean, because sometimes we say Isaac sowed in the land in the same year he reaped a hundredfold, which is the scriptures, all right? It's the word of God. However, it is not every time you will reap a hundredfold. The ability to dwell without reaping a hundredfold, it gives God glory too, sometimes. It does, it does. Who would have thought a, a woman like um, Anna in the Bible, her name would be there for us to be quoting every day? What was she doing? She lost her husband young and began to pray for the rest of her life. And God gave her an assignment to do what? To pray. Who would have thought it was a great thing? Do you know there's nothing that God does on the earth without revealing it to some people and then they will take it to him in prayer? They are called watchmen on the walls. And every day, what are they doing? They are reminding the Lord. There's a principle behind reminding God. We've talked about it in in the school of prayer. And what are they doing every day? They are reminding God every day. So what God wants to do, he first whispers it to them. Then they take it to him and begin to pray regularly. And that was their job. That was her job. That was the job of Simeon. And I am convinced there were different people in different parts of the earth. And that was what they were doing. Nothing glorious around them. Nothing glorious around them. There's a book I've recommended more than a hundred times. I hope you have read it. Rick Joyner's Final Quest. Please go and get it, get it and read. Rick Joyner explained the visions he had of one, one small guy like this who was badly treated because I think he was deaf. He had some congenital problem he couldn't hear. He never, so his parents treated him very badly. They didn't show him any love. They used to hide him in the cellar in their home or the basement. So finally, at the particular age, he left home. Having never, having never experienced love in his life. And the vision, Regina saw him walking past and a cat, you know the way cats like to just rub their bodies on people. A cat came, rubbed his body on him, and he lifted his leg to kick the cat. As he lifted the, the foot, he restrained himself and shoved the car out, cat out of the way. He didn't leave the cat. What did he do? He shoved it. Regina got another vision. Another, a man who would leave his house, take food and um, tracts, and go to the homeless and be feeding the poor and giving them tracts and sharing the word of God. And Jesus asked him, which one of them do you think pleased me more? And of course, it's reasonable to assume is a part-time preacher who is sharing the gospel with people, who is feeding the poor from his resources. And let me make the story short. And Jesus said, you do, let me add my own words now. You did not get the background. Let me give you the background. The person who did not kill the cat, did not kick the cat, he had, in his life, he has hardly been shown love. So three doses of love was all he had. And that was everything he employed. He employed all of that not to kick that cat. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He wanted to. The little experience of love he had, he used it to restrain himself from killing the, kicking the cat. He was using three out of three. The other man had had a hundred doses of love in his life. 
To whom more is given? Jesus said he was using only 70. All the good work you saw him doing, he was using only 70. His core, 70%. The other guy, 100%. He said he had another vision. He saw in heaven. And he saw the man sitting on a massive throne above more, many other saints, you know, like senior to them. What happened? He said in his poor state, deaf, dumb, he came in contact with the gospel and he believed. He used to go around begging. The little money he made from begging, he would go and donate it for tracts. Collect the tracts, do you understand, and start sharing it out. And he died very young. That's how come he was in heaven. No, you got to die first. You understand? <laughs> what killed him? It is simple. One night. Now, let's talk about physically what killed him. Then we'll tell you spiritually why he died. On the earth, it also happened. One night, he was attending to one homeless drunkard. And it was cold. It was winter. So he removed his jacket. Are you getting my point? And gave that man and froze to death. Are you getting my point? He removed his jacket, gave a homeless man, then the cold killed him. That's the physical thing. In heaven, let's see what happened. That heaven was so excited about him, they begged God to bring him over. I don't know what I heard I said. Heaven loved him so much. It wasn't cold that killed him. It was the saints in heaven. The people in heaven said, Lord, Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. This guy walked with God until the saints in heaven said, no, Lord, this guy is better with us here. And the Lord said, no problem. So he took him from the earth. So how did he manifest on the earth? An act of love. He literally laid down his life for somebody else. On the earth, if we were to judge who's giving God glory, is the other fellow. Who's serving God more is the other fellow. But who's like, look at the way I'm telling to you, and all of you are doing, he, 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 he. Do you get my point? Let's take it from that angle. That's glory. God is being what? Glorified. The day I heard this story, I've not personally confirmed it, but I believe it's true. You've heard this song before. You are worthy to be glorified. You are worthy, Jehovah. The story I heard about it, the woman who sang the song, her dead baby was in her hands. I don't know whether I get my point. The baby was sick. They prayed, did everything. The baby died. Is it, should God heal? Yes. I believe in healing. You hear me pray about it every time. But in that particular case, for whatever reason, there are many reasons. Whether their faith was not big enough, it's possible. Whether God said no, it's possible. Whether they offended, <laughs> and God said, listen, you know, we all know what happened to David's son, right? Solomon's will have been elder brother, okay? Now, you know why, you know why, he, died, why he died? God was angry, and the Lord said, this baby will die. Whatever, so I don't know exactly why that baby died in that woman's hands. So I'm not trying to say babies must die. 
the death of babies is painful. We would rather not have it. And God doesn't even consider it ideal. But in that situation, what happened to that woman? As soon as the baby died, he hugged the baby. And a song came out of her spirit. And that is a song we are singing all over the world. She didn't sing it in English. People have interpreted it into different languages. Was God glorified? Most certainly. In your life, please, seek the glory of God. I know the point I want you to do that. Explaining to believers, don't, the preachers, don't, when you are preaching success, be careful. Don't focus believers' minds on this earth. The earth is a temporary place. We use it to do the will of God. We use it to, you know, to perform the purpose, let me add the word now, of salvation. There is an aim for salvation. That's where we must focus our minds. The aim of salvation. The aim of salvation is the perfection of Christ Jesus. When you are reasoning in life, let me say the truth. You know what perfected Jacob, which is what I want to teach today. I hope I'm, I'm moving in it already. Okay. You know what perfected Jacob? Uh, suffering in the house of Laban. There's something that God does in this. Let me just explain it briefly. Did you read it? Did you read the scripture just now? First Corinthians. Okay, I'm talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Now, I'll get back to that. Okay, actually what I'm talking about is perfecting that temple. Okay, which, please, we won't go into details about it, but there's a series we did. Was it this year or last year? That's um, perfecting the Lord's vessel. Yes. Please, everything is what I'm summarizing today. Or over the last, well, maybe last time and next time maybe. But that one was either like eight or ten or something. I can't remember how long, but it, it was quite a, a, a lengthy one, alright? Please, try and get the message. Listen to the whole series. Please, it's important because I'm just going to brush it here and there. But for us to understand the aim of salvation and why we must walk with God. Alright? Jacob was perfected mostly in the house of labor. The house of labor was not a nice place. You must understand that what God is doing, that's what salvation is. The aim of salvation is to bring the image of God, image of Christ, out of each individual. Please never forget that. For Jacob, he had to go to the house of Laban. The house of Laban was not the best place to be. In the house of Laban, he was working for Laban. He was being, you know, his wages. All right? Laban changed it how many times? Ten times. Ten times. The first time, the, the contract was work for seven years. You know what they call work for seven years? You know, we have this culture in eastern Nigeria. You go and serve somebody in the market and stuff like that to let they trade. That's what we're talking about. Serve me in my business for seven years. You'll be the first to get to the shop. You'll be the one to open the shop. You'll talk to the customers. That time it was um, animal husbandry. You took care of the animals. And apart from the food you eat, the only thing you are going to get is a wife. All this labor is for what? A wife. At the end of seven years, they gave him a wrong one. And it was not an accident. He jumped up in the morning. Ah, behold, it was Leah. He went to his father-in-law. His father-in-law said, ah, eh, it was Leah. Okay, yes, it's Leah, it's Leah. Oh, I forgot, yes. I didn't tell you. The man said, didn't tell me what? Oh, God. Oh, my bad. Like we say, my bad. It was a mistake. I was supposed to tell you, ah, did I not tell 
Oh, he called Leah's brother. You didn't tell him. Jacob looking at you. All of you high on something. <laughs> tell me what. He said, you know, the day before the wedding, you know, when we made that agreement, I thought that by the time seven years would be over, Leah would have married. But well, since he's not married and you needed, we needed to give you your wife. But it's not our cost, uh, custom to give, so, give the younger girl out before the senior one. So you, you, you have to just take Leah. Sorry, don't be angry. But I worked for seven years for Rachel. Is no wife. Why? You have the wife. You have married the wife. <laughs> Let me hear you. You still want Rachel? Say yes. Okay. Just fulfill another one week of whatever rituals they needed to do. I give her, give her to you. There. You work for seven years. So my girls are seven years old. <laughs> you are following that? Of course. Let me not bore you with too many details. These are stories you know. They will tell, okay, let's give me the black goats. The man says, no problem. By the time you get the next morning, there are no black goats in the head. The man's sons will come earlier than him and remove the black goats. And what I want to tell you is the interesting part of it. God did not allow him to leave. That's why the gist is, we all know the story of Jacob. The main issue is that God did not let him leave. There are people who have left jobs, and God said, you will go back. He said, do you pay me poorly? God said, I know. There are times you want to resign. I'm leaving this office. God is watching you like this. He said, let me just warn you, if you leave, you won't get another job for seven years. And you, know, you know this kind of one that you, you have a dream. In the dream, you just see seven people block your road. Each person is a year. And as soon as you wake up, you will know that what God is saying is that if you pass that road, seven years you will not get another job. You go back to sleep. First time it was seven people. This time it will be seven cows. Why? Because I remember the story of uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh and Joseph. You know, some Christians will still live. And God knew they would live. And he just said that, I've left you to live. So that when you are going through your seven years, you know why you, why the seven, and you know this kind of, you now start praying. In the name of Jesus, I break every power, fighting God, seven, seven years. Prophets will arise. I'm telling you the truth. Prophets will arise. And say, there's somebody here. Seven years, I see seven years. But the Lord said today, I'm ending seven years. I'm shrinking it to seven hours. You will give a 7,000 naira seed seven times. <laughs> you know why that prophet saw that vision? God said, that money you kept, I need to collect it. <laughs> God said, that money you kept, I am collecting my money, I am collecting it. You will sow the seed. Say 7,000 naira every day for seven days. God knew you had 50K. I didn't know seven days, how much is gone? 49,000. Prophet will now lay hands on you. As soon as you finish, he finishes laying hands, you go and dream. What's the name of the other guy that was prophesying against Jeremiah? Is this Zedekiah or the other guy? The other prophet. I've got his name now. Uh, Ananiah, thank you. You just dream. You see a signboard writing Ananiah Ministries. You wake up in the morning. What's Ananiah Ministries? You open your Bible. You see Ananiah. Ah. You know, you know what I'm doing? <laughs> Jeremiah said 70 years. Ananiah said two years. <laughs> As soon as you just know your 49,000 naira is gone. Because that prophet, his name is Ananiah. 
Say, Lord, what should I do? But adventure you cut the shot. God say, if you want me to cut the shot, don't talk about it. Sometimes he cuts the shot, but not from your pressure. Just start repenting. Go to the former office. Offer them free work. After some time, he says, seven years, give him three and a half. But it doesn't ever come below three and a half. He give you three and a half. God did not let Jacob leave. Do you know why? Because what it was not Laban that was a problem. It was Jacob. It was not Laban that was a problem. God was working on Jacob. Laban was just an instrument in the hands of God. Now, you know, one thing about the Bible, which um, I've mentioned before, is that when you really have to be careful. By the time Jacob left, he left based on divine instructions. You may see that he ran. God just in time to go. By the time he left, he left based on divine instructions. The protection he, he had on the way, you understand? You know, there's a book that some of the Bible books will refer to, the book of Jasha or something. Yes. One of our sisters sent to me, and I started reading an interesting history book. And some of the things inside there, I compare it, and it's really beautiful. I saw some of these, those stories exp- expounded. Literally, angels guarded Joseph down home. You remember this testimony of Laban? When Laban came to overtake him, before that day, before the, the, that night, God won Laban. The same thing God did to um, Esau. Why? Because God was the one walking in the life of Jacob. Please, what am I preaching? All right? What I'm preaching to you is that God is walking in your life. Yes. And it is important you learn to cooperate with Him. It's very, very important. You know, I began by explaining, let nobody come and harass you that, uh, you, know, you know, that's why I began by explaining it, that we, 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 we sometimes, we focus so much on material things that our breakthrough, you know, our testimony all the time is um, Peter was delivered. We don't realize that Stephen was not. We focus so much on Peter was delivered the first time. We forget that second time the Lord said no. And God was glorified. We focus so much on, you know, everything has to be, in quote, the best for me. A brother once, this was not today, the story I'm telling you, 15 years ago, minimum, 15 years ago, minimum. He told me that time I was living in Nigeria, I was going somewhere in North America. So I just asked him a simple question. He came to do some work for me. It was, it was, he came to do his NYC in town, so we got a bit uh, friendly. So he was good with some computer work. So he came to my house to help me fix some things. So when we're now walking away that day, so I said, okay, I dropped him off at one junction. So in the course of the Jesus, I just asked him, so what is the motivation for traveling? Nothing, no, I keep on saying, nothing wrong with traveling. Is there anything wrong with traveling? Was I born in Enugu? Was I born here? I traveled down here, right? So traveling is good. Why is the issue? When I was coming to Enugu, they told me money is in Lagos. I said, money is in Lagos? You are not serious. Anyway, make a long story short. He said, I will cause prosperity to flow towards you. So I go wherever he leads me to go. And for certain reasons, I knew that I had to come to Enugu. And that's the place God is going to cause us to begin to do the work of teaching the gospel, which is the reason why you are here this evening, all right? So people travel. So I asked him, what is the motivation? It's what he said to me, which I never forgot. It's a stupid thing, right? So, but it was so stupid, strikingly stupid that I never forgot it. He said that, um, you see, he just believes that in life he should have the best. And I said to him, that's where you are, just for my words, I said, this is where you and I are different. I believe that in life 
I have to give the best. So I have to give the best in the place where I'm most needed. That's what I just told him. So you go and have the best while I keep on giving the best. Another time, one of my younger colleagues, I met him in Enugu, was in my office. And he found out that my good friend is also a pathologist, but he is in the UK. He practices in the UK. And that, um, so he just asked me that day, don't you think your friend is in a better position than you? I said, in doing what? He said, in serving people. I said, it's not serving my people. I don't know where I get my point. I, 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 does he have better tools? Most certainly. He travels down. Is this COVID thing that ended the travel for this year? But before, for many years, now, I've been traveling down twice a year to come and help those of us back home. It's been a positive influence, blessing people all over the country, t- t- teaching, training, you know, spending his own money, you know, training people, helping us do better. And there are some um, tests that we don't run in our institution till now. He does all of them for us. Of course, not free. The patients pay, but we are, he's our consultant in that area. And we like it because it's top quality, best standard anywhere. You, it goes anywhere in the world. If you mention where it was done, oh, you, anybody can rely on it. Heavy quality control. So it's good, helping us. So I, I, I admit that. But that day, so he was mentioned that, oh, look, what about this? Your guy is not better in a better position than you. I said, in doing what? He's helping people fine. I said, but he didn't carry my own patients with him when he was traveling. It's not about me. It's about the people I've been told to serve. If you had me give this illustration, things have changed now since I went for a training in the U.S. many years ago. That time, in my department then, me and the department secretary, you know, she was showing me around, showing me how to take the bus and all of that, how to get to work and all. So just, I was asking a lot of questions. And I asked her simply, how many pathologists do you have in one institution? One, not two. One institution. And she said they had over a hundred. I, I told her to wait. That you didn't get my question right. I said what they call anatomic pathologists. I don't mean every kind of pathology, chemical pathology, hematology, microbiology. No, I said anatomic pathologists. He said, you mean such part and such a part? I said, yes. He said, I said over a hundred. I said, what? I said, I'm going home. I told her straight, there's no way, even if I was being tempted, I'm going back home. That's not fair. This is one institution. One. This is not the biggest. It's the second biggest cancer center in America. They have one bigger than it. And they have over 100. The whole of Nigeria at that time, we could not count 50. At that time, things are better now. At that time, we could not count 50. I said, any temptation that was trying to tempt me should warn itself. Even though I couldn't be tempted because I'm primarily a minister of the gospel. You understand? I mean, I have things. If I just took a leave from King Norwood and travel, I said, eh? For me, I said, no, 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 no. Remember the story I told now? When I first came to Enugu, a young lady that, well, there were this set of students I had. All right, they were, they were having a problem with the course, so I gave them coaching extensively. So... They were very, in fact, some of them, all my friends, the one I see, some of them are still in town, they're my friends still today. So one of them, a young lady, she traveled abroad for what they call electives and came back afterwards and said to me that, she just came to my office to come and greet me and say, ah, sir, that thank God for that you came, I just arrived that time, Nenugu, that those lectures I gave them really, really transformed her life. That way enough for those lectures, when she got to the UK, she would have been looking like a fool. 
that I, because she could, she could hold her own when they talk, she would talk because of this coaching, the, the, the sessions that we give, I gave them, she and her friends, and that, ah, no, 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 she, I really, really helped her tremendously. Then she now went ahead and said, you see, young, intelligent people like you are just wasting away in this country. Thank you. I like the way you said it. Ah. After this thing she told me, she told me I was wasting away in Nigeria. That if I get over there, that she just please pack her, arrange my way, and just go. There, I remember what she said, that your potential will be fully manifested. That day I started looking at her like this. What was in my heart? Oh, foolish Galatian. Oh, selfish Galatian. Oh, confused Galatian. Oh, Galatian that will finish crossing the bridge <laughs> and then remove the wood to use for firewood. Yeah, you get my point? Yes, you've crossed the river now, Abby. Then you're not, you not telling us who should dismantle the, the bridge. She, I was just looking at her like this. When she was done, I looked at her. I said, please, the next set, these this were my words. I said, the next set of ignoramuses like you that will come, what will happen to them? That was my answer I gave her. You just told me how much my presence here changed your life. Look at you. You just told me. Then you are saying the way I will reward myself, the way you will reward me is with this Galatian council. That I shall put myself and go to where I am not needed. I will go to where that for every square kilometer, they have one of my type. So I asked her simply, the next set of ignoramuses like you that will come, please tell me what will happen to them. He said, okay, it's true, Shai. Of course it is true, my friend. It is, it is so true. You know, sometimes people give you counsel, you just wonder that, are you all right? Do you know where I came from? I came from Lagos. Even if it's to swim across the Atlantic, which one is closer? You know, if we give you counsel as if you don't know something, like, ah, let me just advise you. You, advise me. <laughs> advise me. You've forgotten that you're still a medical student. By that time, I was more than 10 years post-graduation. Ah, you're still a medical student? Ah, you want to advise me? I know what you know. It's just I have made up my mind is not my way forward. You are thinking of me, listen. The reason why Ruth is a story we are telling till today was because she refused to think of herself. Naomi said, think of yourself. Ruth said, no. I'm convinced. This is my own doctrine about it. She was thinking so much of Ruth, of Naomi. What will happen to my mother-in-law if I leave her? She has no son. She has no husband. She's literally destitute. Desolate woman. That's what the Bible calls people like that. Let me offer myself as a help to her. Is in that process, God, listen, you know some of those Bible stories, if you read them well, uh, you say, hey, Naso, don't think that um, Ruth was a first wife to a young guy. Go and read your story. You know what happened to Ruth? Uh, Boaz, that she married. Boaz, they were impressed that, ah, you didn't want to go to look for a young man. Boaz was an Egbo. She probably was not his only wife. Just performed the duty of a redeemer. For her, but the point is that God settled her, gave her a son. She became the is it grandmother or great grandmother of David. Why are we telling her story? It is simply because she refused to think of herself. Christians, let's learn to reason like that. Let us learn to reason like that. What am I trying to explain? What is God doing in our lives? That's our focus. What He's doing is that He's bringing forth Christ in each individual. 
One thing that marks out Christ Jesus is that self-sacrifice. What I'm trying to say is this. I like one thing, you know, Chambers we're talking about. Oswald Chambers says something that Jesus did not, came to save, did not come to save the world. That we are the ones that, <laughs> that think so. That Jesus came to do the will of the Father. It was the Father that was doing what? Saving the world. For God so loved the world that he gave what? The son was not the one saving. It was the father that was saving. The son came to do the will of the father. That is so. The father said, now, think about it. If we had to go by our success principles, we declare it, we receive it, we say it like this, the person will have fallen for easily. Or Satan. Jesus will have fallen for Satan easily. Very, very easily. Okay, let me tell you why. Think about it. You are from one um, part of Nigeria. All your people are half blind, half poor. They are very, very poor. They don't. They never go to school. Anything. And if only you can make it. Do you get my point? You will pull all of them out of poverty, out of their blindness. Now think about it very well. Will it make sense that it is killing? We will kill you, and it's a way to freedom. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Which was exactly what Satan came to with to Jesus Christ. He came to him and said, Bow to me and I will give you the kingdoms. What he was saying is that maybe you want them to do righteously, and you'll be the king now. You just decree righteousness. That's what he was saying. In this poverty, you are going to be in charge. You will restructure the economy. No, you first restructure the country. Each region will be able to determine its own destiny. You know, the lie we tell ourselves in Nigeria every day. <laughs> I mean, I've told myself I should start. We should be having political talk on another day of the week. When I'm preaching on Saturday, I don't like to be getting involved because, you know, I'm sorry. Please pardon me. Sometimes when I hear, can I digress for 30, 30, 30 seconds? 30, no, no, 30 seconds. Mark it, 30 seconds. Please, believers, avoid commenting on some of these things. Most of the public opinion that you hear, they are foolish thoughts. They don't make any sense. They are based on ignorance. They are based on People who have no understanding, not forget spiritual things. They don't even understand enough of temporal things to be able to pass good comments. So I advise believers, don't say anything. When they say, what do you think? Say, we are praying. Are you Christians? I always pray. What are you want us to do? Is that not why we are called Christians? All right? The Lord is good. Like, you know, I took 30 seconds. Was it more than 30 seconds? 28 and a half. Yes, sir. All right. Now, this is what I'm making. So, what you would have thought is that he will say, look, just take over the world, restructure the place. You restructure it. You legislate this. You do this. At the end of the day, everybody will be saved. That would have made a lot of sense. But you know what happened? Because nobody had preached our own success messages to him and he believed it. It had not happened. It could not have happened. He understood that to glorify God was the way to get results in life. So he said, what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father said, you will go to the cross, you will be killed, you will be stripped naked, your disciples will leave you, you will be alone, then you will be killed on the cross, on the third day you will rise again. So he said to Satan, Satan said, I'll give you everything. He said, you will bow, it is written, you will bow, you only the Lord thy God you will serve, he's the only one you will bow to. He left it like that. How do I get my result? Is by going, now, I'm expanding it now, is by dying on the cross, and then I don't change people from outside, I change them from inside. If I follow your own path, they will not change. They will be blessed materially, but they will not change from inside. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. 
I don't know. I just feel like today just explain this into believers. Our, what we should do is walk with God totally. Let's not get distracted by these worldly things. As I tell Christians, see, once you give your life to Christ, eh, what I want to say, if you read my book, Grace to Prosper, there are two chapters there which sound confusing. One chapter I preached the vow of poverty. And that chapter I preached the vow of prosperity. You will think this pastor doesn't know what he's saying. I knew what I was saying. I understood it very well. Both of them you must take in life. Both the vow of poverty and the vow of prosperity. Let me talk about that vow of poverty in this context briefly. As a Christian, you know, I I believe that God sent Jesus Christ to die for our poverty. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's the vow of prosperity. Let me give out the vow of poverty. As a Christian in life, don't ask anything great for yourself. If you have to ask God for anything, I said it last time, just say, if God comes to you and says, what should I do for you? Say, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let me walk in a manner worthy of you to please you in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, and to increase in the knowledge of you all the time. Make Christ real in my life. Every hidden thing, every dark thing that will not please you, that's hidden somewhere, Lord, show it to me so I can confess it out of my life. So you will cleanse it out thoroughly. Do that for me, Lord. Say, do you want any other thing? Say, no, that's all I want. Shouldn't I ask him for a wife? He said, no. Don't, uh, don't bother. You know why? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things will be added. You Listen, as believers, we must realize that God thinks more about us than we can ever think about ourselves. So when we start as a believer, eh? please, again, I always like to draw for preachers. Stop preaching to people as if this is how to be rich. Our gospel applies to the physically rich and to the physically poor. He wrote to Timothy, instruct those who are rich amongst you. They were rich people there. They were also poor people there. James said, look at your problem. In your congregation, this is what we have. If a man comes, he's rich. You put him in front. They had rich people in the churches. Our gospel applies to both the rich and the poor. So you cannot be preaching this is the way out of poverty as the main gospel. It's not. Please, let's understand it. Because once you come to Christ, you know, I heard, um, you know, you are a slave of Christ, amen? Say amen. amen. I know you are a son of God, but you are also a slave of Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, somebody explained this to I think it was the reference. That one of the things that Paul was talking about slavery when he was writing to the Romans, that he understood the context. That when you are somebody's slave, you can't, you can't, you can't, how do I say it? You can't determine what he will use you for. And how he will use you. You can't. So when you give your life to Christ, let me put it like this, just leave yourself for him. Only one thing you must pursue, that is having Christ totally replicated in your life. That is one thing you must pursue. That's the only thing. Because, you see, we, 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 it's a mistake we make. We present the gospel a lot of times as a way to become rich in life. It is not. What is the gospel? It is a way to become like Christ Jesus. No, I withdraw that. It is the way, not a way. It is what? The way. God's aim 
is to make you become exactly like Christ Jesus. Why does all of these things? So you understand how to react, with advers- react to adversity. Let me say this to you. I mean this literally. Everything, listen to what I'm saying. Before I say it, I just remember the story. A young, I think Indian girl, that won Miss World or Miss Universe, one of these pageants those days. <clears throat> so they showed a clip of it on the news, the girl that won. Her reply, they, you know, they ask questions. You know, those kind of questions, they just ask you, because they're not just looking at how physically beautiful you are, they want to be sure your brain has good shape also. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> because you remember that one they showed in a, somewhere in south-south zone. Let me not mention which part of Nigeria. They asked one girl, say, which one do you prefer arranged marriage? He said, do you like arranged marriage? He said, uh, arranged marriage? I, li- I like arranged marriage because if you arrange yourself before marriage, you will never have problems. <laughs> he didn't see the video that time. They canceled the whole pageant. That is, they canceled <laughs> Everybody go home, go home. Go home. Why not do it? <laughs> They say, we're not doing it again. They canceled it. It became talk in Nigeria at that time. Which kind of human beings are we producing? <laughs> that is, the young girl had never heard of arranged marriage. Say, so if you arrange yourself before marriage. Let me not leave my message. So, this Indian girl, they asked her a question, which is why I'm talking about it. They asked her that, if you look back in your life, no, just intellect, just to show how her brain works. Young girl, of course. Young people. Which day of your life would you like to erase? Which day would you like not to have happened? The young lady thought, thought. She said, whatever I am today, every single day of my life contributed to it. I don't want to change any one of it. Whether she was a Christian or not, I don't know. But I never forgot that. Saw that thing on TV. I said, whoever taught this girl this thing, the teacher, flesh and blood did not reveal it to her. Let me now make the statement I wanted to make. No matter how bad it was, there is nothing that has happened in your life. Please hear it. I want to say it well. There is nothing that has happened in your life that is, was not necessary. To bring Christ Jesus out of you. There's none. None. That was why Paul said, none of these things move me. That's why he said, all things work together. All things work together for good. All. All things. Listen. I like the woman explained it. This is Nigeria. Let's talk about our food. How many people here like uh, uh, which soup can I use? Okay. Typical, just normal vegetable soup. If you like it, just say amen. amen. Say amen like you are serious. Amen. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to take a spoon of palm oil and put it in your mouth? Just a spoon of palm oil. Does it really taste nice? Let's face it. On its own, just palm oil. Okay, let's even forget palm oil. Salt itself. Salt, gong, gong. Salt. Take that salt, put it in your mouth. Does it have a nice taste? The salted taste in itself is not a good taste. The vegetables we use to cook vegetable soup, whether it is um, uh, green, ugo leaf, uh, water leaf, whatever it is, have you tried before to chew anyone? You haven't tried? There's no good in your spirit. 
Okay, let me explain. You know, when my wife, anytime my wife will be pregnant, we found out, this is a matter of fact, let me teach you some herbal medicine and real medicine. Every pregnant woman needs vitamin uh, folic acid and um, iron. So they might give it as tablets. Most of the ones they give are not very good. The cheap ones, they don't deliver a good amount of folic acid. All this one, they say one, one, nine. You may as well be swallowing chalk. You understand? (laughs) (laughs) The very good ones are pretty expensive. All right? But I didn't even bother with expensive ones because any leaf that is green is rich in folic acid. There's only one problem with folic acid. You can't cook it. Yes, it can't stand heat. The iron can stand heat, but the folic acid can't stand heat. So you have to get it out of it, you know, um, before heat, heating it. So the easiest way we found out is just wash the vegetables very well, all right? Blend it, strain out the juice. That greenish, funny-looking thing is pure folic acid made by heaven, sold by St. Michael. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> very, very, no, it's, it's, it, it's very beautiful, really. Jokes apart. I'm, I'm being, that's all my wife used to take. There's a bit of work in it because you always have to get vegetables fresh, you know, blend, strain. Sometimes if you put in the freezer, freeze, freezing doesn't kill it, but heat does. All right? Now, so I used to ask my wife, what does it taste like? I'm like, mm, it doesn't have any taste. So I just, I just drink it without thinking about it. The vegetable, tasteless in itself. Or, at best, a bit of an off taste. Or at worst, maybe a bit of an off But it doesn't taste nice. Bitter leaf. You know why it's called bitter leaf? Because the leaf is bitter. And all those funny, funny things you put inside. All those, there are some of them that look like black worm you put inside. There's this one they call, um, is it ogre? Uh-huh, whatever you would call it. Is it locust beans? Is that what they call locust beans? I don't even know which one is which. But none of them, I've never seen anybody eat any one of them on his own, apart from some people that have perverted minds. That eat. <laughs> you know, some people, they just like to just eat bad things. Now, you see, I've given you almost all the ingredients needed for making what? The vegetable soup. And you don't like any one of them on his own. <laughs> but I've come to tell you this evening, if anyone puts them together, you will realize that all things work together for good to them that love a vegetable soup. Have you noticed it? All these I've mentioned, they are necessary. When they put them together, they now put, uh, you know, the, the dried fish, put the crayfish, put all those things. When they now, when now simmer it, it become pounded yam, come put them beside it. They now say, pray. Father, you keep one eye open because uh, you don't know those who are praying with you. <laughs> So I mean, when you close both eyes, the food will go somewhere. So say, Father, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. You know, that thanksgiving, you know, is from the bottom of your heart. It's from what? The bottom of you. You is from the bottom. You know the taste. You can feel it even before you touch it. Yet if they separate it to the different days of your life, you don't want any one of them. When they put it together, you realize that all things work together for good. The day they threw Joseph into the pit, it was not a good deal. No. But you know what God said to Joseph? Your destiny will be in your mother's tent. Why do I say mother's tent? You know, the love that the father had for the mother. Then they take hand to the, uh, Joseph. God said, hey, please, excuse me. Oh, yeah, off to Egypt. 
Off to Egypt, off to Egypt. Go and remove this father's, daddy's pet thing out of his life. If he didn't go to Egypt, I hope you know. You will never, there are many Joseph that say we are not going to Egypt, and their story is not in your Bible. What am I explaining? That listen, God is working in your life. No matter how bad you look back at it, he looks. By the time, you see, on his own. And listen to me, if you never got to love God, that day will be bad permanently. You hear what I said? If you never came to love Christ Jesus, some days will be permanently bad. One of the things that Christ Jesus does for people is to convert dead things, all right, to live. Because Jesus died, and from his dead body, a new body was brought forth. God did not dissolve the first body and bring a a, a supernatural one. Paul said that we will be changed. I hope I get my point. We will be changed. Dead things can be changed. I don't know whether you are getting my point. What God does, that is what is called the resurrection power of Christ Jesus. The very dead thing. That thing. I'm not saying God will replace it. I mean that very thing. God will turn it by the power of, the, the resurrection power of Christ Jesus. It will look like a good thing. All things work together for good. Before the resurrection power of Christ touches it, it was bad. I hope you're getting my point. You ever heard the story of Jasmine? Even though me, I'm preaching like this, I don't want my enemy to suffer like Jasmine. I'm going to read her story. The day I saw her on TV narrating it, Almost all the women, they were crying. This girl was telling the story, of course, a old woman now. But this young girl was abused sexually from the time she was five. By close relatives. She grew up to be a wounded, scattered human being. On the verge of suicide many times. When I saw her story that day, I looked at my first story. Do you know, even though you know Jesus had done his work, you're still feeling sorry. Sexual abuse of children, no matter the story you want to tell, is a bad thing. Bad, horrible. But do you know when Jesus came and touched Joyce Meyer, it became a story she would tell to scores of millions and say, Look at me today. To show the power of resurrection. I hope you're getting my point. That is, it is when we encounter Jesus that the bad things receive the power of resurrection. Then they become good because they will serve the purpose of God. When you want to preach Christ to people, these are the things you preach. People say, God cannot change the past. I said, the God I know. (laughs) There are different ways he changes the past. Sometimes he touches those past things. In such a manner that if you tell him, change, if you, if he asks, let me change, you say, no, no, leave it. Because, let me give an example. This man's life is a beautiful life, to use as an example. David, you know, I said at that time that there are two things, two people that I want to talk about. I mentioned them briefly, David and um, Job. We said that God is removing every unclean thing from our lives. He's washing us with the washing of water by the word. I read this temple, this, um, um, this section on, on being the temple of the Holy Spirit, because there's something I want to bring out. I want to even read that Paul explained when he ran to the Thessalonians that we have to be sanctified spirit, soul, and body. 
You know, I wanted to read that also, but please, you see what, what I'm going to say in a moment. Now, this progressive cleansing, what is God doing? That's what I'm making. David, I said it's a beautiful example, right? I said, God removes two kinds of things out of us. Some that look very bad, like you're a murderer, you have a loyal servant, his name is Uriah, he has a fine wife, you take the wife, you kill the servant. That's very bad, right? I, no, you, you, don't you think that is bad? Horrible, 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 horrible. So God removes it. Then God turns around also. <laughs> he looks at Job. Job does good works. He removes the ability to do good works. Ah, what are you saying? Ah, Job said, I was eyes to the blind. God removed it. said, no, forget that thing. He said, I'm just quickly flipping up to that place. He said, the blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me. I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, a feet to the lame, a father to the needy. I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked, snatched the prey from, the, from his teeth. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is ever with me. And my bow is renewed in my hand. He said at the beginning, he said, Oh, that I was like I was in the prime of my days. When the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me. Now, those are the blessings. I bathed my steps in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. I went out, when I went out the streets of the, the gate of the city, I was honored. The priest stopped talking. He said, why? He said, because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the orphan who had no helper. Because I made a widow's heart sing for joy. Because of all the good works I did, look at the good that came into my life. So I thought I would die in my prosperity. That mindset, God said, let me remove it also. I need to remove, as good as it seems, God said, I need to remove this trust in his own works from Job's life. The same Job that God said was the best of all the people of the East. We'll get back to it. Let's talk about David again. So God said, let's remove this thing from the life of David. How did he do it? The angels pulled back. The angels that were controlling him and sustaining him in righteousness, God told them, stand down, stand down. They stood down. They began to see things. Now, all the while, God had tried to correct him. Again, please, be corrected. What did I say? Please, be corrected. Every day wake up and pray that prayer. Try me, O Lord. Know my heart. Search me. Pray that prayer regularly. Don't assume you are right. I was reading also Chambers. That book I told you was from Chambers. said, the problem with mankind is that they always like to blame other people for why they are wrong. He said, yes, I know I ate of the tree. Why did you put the tree there? Why did you say we shouldn't eat it? You shouldn't have put the tree there. Or should I put it there and allowed us to eat it? So, the reason why I'm wrong is because of you, God. This is your holiness is the problem. I'm a good person. You are the one that just said, we can't take another person's wife. Well, why was she fine like that? Now, just by the way, which is what the world is doing. They try to remove every boundary. Let's do anything we like. What, what they are saying is that we are good. The problem is the holiness of God. God is too holy. If only he withdraw his holiness, we'll be fine. 
God had tried to correct um, David. David refused correction. When? I don't know. But that's just the character of God. And one of the reasons David refused correction, let me just tell you, is that he did not know he was that bad. Do you hear what I said? David did not know he was that bad. That's why Paul said, if anyone is overtaking an offense, he said, those of you who are spiritual, what should you do? Restore such a one with the spirit of humility. Why? He said, fearing lest you yourself be what? Be tempted. Let me just drop that by the side, all right, by the way. If that thing can happen amongst you, one person did it means all of you can do it. Yeah. So assuming that we are ten brothers, we are friends, and one of us drove away his wife and started chasing another woman, is that a good thing? It's very bad. It's, it's, it's rubbish. It's nonsense. But if he's one of us, <laughs> what the Bible says, he's one of us. He didn't do it. We did. That should be your attitude. He did not do it. Who did it? We. So we, we go and meet him. And say, bros, please, neither, let's cast out the demon out of you, you first. Then when you are done, we'll cast it out of all of us. You will talk to him, you'll correct him. As soon as, as you are doing that, you are beginning to think, eh, why, what will make me do this kind of thing? You are not saying, no, these brothers, they are not serious. This guy is your friend. You guys have been eating food together. Every time you drank wine together, you were sharing communion. That evil spirit, he has shared it with you. And I'm not joking about it. Though. So what you need to do, once your friend has done something, go and purge yourself in Jesus' name. Father God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for the sin of my friend. Forgive me in the name of Jesus. Did you see they caught him committing adultery? Lord, I confess all the sins of adultery out of my heart in Jesus' name. I know they, think, they don't think I'm the one, but I know we. Why? He's my friend. He's close. Most likely I have drunk of his spirit. I don't realize it. I'm serious. So listen. That's why John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What was he saying? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that is, if you say you don't have any sin, light has not yet shown on the area. Some people are listening to me and say, no, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's no trouble. Go ahead, be confessing your own. I'm as righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as you are. It is the same Christ we believe in. It's just what that same Christ has taught us. Paul said, purify yourself of all defilement of flesh and spirit. We are saying there can be defilement. And if you don't do what I'm saying, God will have to take you to the method of David. That's why I said it. Because purifying, he must purify. He said to concerning Jacob, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We think it means I will always protect you. That is one. When you have a child and you say the child will never leave you or never forsake you, there are two sides to it. You, will ever, you always have your school fees. Amen? You always have the food when you need it. You always have the cane when you offend. It goes together. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's not only providing for you. It means when you err, I will always be present to discipline you. I will catch you in your misdemeanors. And I will bring retribution so that I can bring out the manhood that is in you. You must be the real person that God said you must be. That's my duty. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because sometimes when David has that inside him, he doesn't realize it. God now says, back to our story. Angels, let him see that it's inside him. All the while, he thought he was the one obeying God. He didn't know what they call grace. He said, listen, there's something inside you. That was why you married all this number of women. 
And you think that's the worst. It is worse than that. So let's show it to you. God just allowed that to happen simply because he wanted to clean out David. He could have covered it till David would die. But he said the David that will leave this earth into the next one will not be a clean man. What was God looking for? He wanted that prayer. That repentance before Nathan. That repentance on his own. That fasting he fasted for days when that little boy was sick. God needed David to do that. He just that it's unfortunate. David made it necessary for those things to happen for him to pray that prayer. He would have gotten the same results if he could have prayed that prayer without that experience. What am I saying? Every child of God, pray the prayer. What did I say? Pray the prayer. Especially if any one of you is overtaking an offense. Those of you who think you are spiritual, fear lest you yourself be what? Be tempted. In David's case, let's give us the story of David. You know what happened to David, don't you? He took Uriah, uh, he took um, Bathsheba, he murdered Uriah with the sword of the Ammonites. And then Nathan came, listen to this, he repented. It was not like Saul. Saul did not pray the first prayer. Then when God came to correct him after he did his own wrong, he refused, he was stubborn. So he died, which is what is called his sin unto death. David did not do like that. What did David do? He repented, he confessed. Now, you see where my story is going. One strange thing that happened. God forgive him, right? Do you know the only son he had that could take the throne was born by Bathsheba? All the other women he married, all the sons they, they had, they were all crazy, one after the other. Amnon was one of the worst princes in Israel. Of all the women you will be having affection for is your own sister. Even boys who are high on drugs, they see clearly small. Amnon couldn't see. You see, it was because the spirit possessed him. Spirits only possess you according to your hidden character. That's that spirit that made um, Judas betray Jesus. The heart of Peter didn't size him. And everything has sizes. The heart of Peter could not size the spirit that betrays Jesus Christ. No, it didn't have a size inside there. To sell the Lord for money, that spirit didn't have a size. It couldn't fit. The, the, um, listen, the spirit that went into David's house and raked havoc inside there, the one that entered Amnon could only enter Amnon because he was Amnon. Absalom was just a, was a modern-day politician. He knew what to say during campaign. He made the whole of Israel fall in love with him, but the man was fake inside out. Adonijah was a conniving creature. All the sons of David, none of them was fit to be king. Now, this is the power of resurrection. After David confessed his sin, listen, look at his history. The bad thing that happened in his life, the Bible says he pleased God in everything apart from the case of Uriah the Hittite. Yet, the only son he had that could take his throne was born by Bathsheba. 
Do you know God so loves the boy, he sent a personal name. I hope you get my point. That is, he was beloved of the Lord. Do you get my point here? Now, any natural person would have thought that, no, it shouldn't be, uh, what's the name, Bathsheba, that we have uh, Solomon. You know, it's just in the trust, interest of decency. Think about it, decency. It's not good, otherwise the next king will kill his son, uh, will kill his uh, servant, take the wife, and then go and confess. And please, if you want to do that, that's how to die. If you want to think God will follow that same pathway, it's called tempting the Lord thy God. So let's just by the way, let's settle that one. So people have thought that in the, in the interest of decency, God shouldn't go that way. But I believe that why God went that way is to let us know that life can come out of death. I hope you're getting my point. It's called the power of resurrection. What should have been the negative thing in the life of David, which the only reference we'll have had to it was how bad it was. God said, let me bring something to blossom out of it. You know what somebody said? Have you heard what Americans say all the time? Even good Americans, they can't, re- they can't reject this. That is the good ones. Even though it's a bad thing. All um, conservative Americans, they, they don't believe in abortion. A child has been conceived, is right to life. They say the baby too should have a choice. So they call them pro-life. The other people say they are pro-choice. Forget pro-choice, it's called pro-abortion. And that's a pro-life. We don't agree with abortion. You know, there's one thing that all of them agree on. You can abort the baby if it was conceived as a result of rape. Almost, that is, nobody can publicly disagree. They are afraid. Did you hear that? Everywhere in the world, I even heard a pastor tell me that no, if it's rape, no, 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 me, that one I don't agree. You can abort that baby. Now, if you want to ask, hear my opinions, if after all you can crucify me on Twitter, then God will punish you after. It doesn't matter. Let's just say to that one now. Not really. No, God will have to punish you if you try that nonsense. Now, <laughs> you know, you know, sometimes when you talk on Twitter, I say that like, you should know what they, what they are saying to you, what they are not saying to you. None of your business. When I'm preaching the word of God, eh? warn yourself, the Lord is good. Now, this is what I wanted to say. I told my friend, I said, no, I don't agree. Because if you say that you can abort the child because, because it was conceived by a rape, if that principle was right, then you can also shoot the child immediately after birth. Because the principle is still there. Because the reason why we disagree with abortion is not the circumstance of conception. It is the sanctity of what? Life. What we are dealing with is what? Life. Because the child conceived of rape is still born of rape. True or false? So why can't we just wring the neck after a crime? When she stop crying, they shoot, kill him. That's my logic. If it was if it was right at the thirtieth week of pregnancy, what makes it wrong at the thirty-eighth week and the child was born at the thirty-seventh week? Don't let common sense throw away your logic. I mean, like worldly sense. I wanted to say, you are not. No, nobody is saying we are against abortion because of the beautiful circumstances of conception. We are against it because we say life is what sacred. Now, what am I telling you the story? I read an article somewhere. Somebody said, has it ever crossed your mind that rape is a very terrible experience? True or false? That God decided to bring beauty out of it with that child. He said, if you understood the value of life, 
He won't terminate the life because of it. And I know a number of people, one that many of you know, who says it publicly. My father raped my mother. That's how I was born. Many of you know who I'm talking about. He preaches it from the pulpit. Listen, perspective matters. What's what I'm thinking about what I've said? I've changed the word. Some of you have confused you. Amen. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You will solve your confusion when you get home. But let me get back to my message. My message is that God has this beautiful thing he does. Sometimes it takes a bad and horrible experience. And it just brings something good out of it. So that when you project it after 20 years, you look back. It's almost like, thank God the bad thing happened. Joyce Mayer has a ministry today. I'm sorry, I don't believe you can separate her ministry from her past experience. What gives her credibility is that experience. Many people tune into her because they need to be healed. Paul said we were comforted in our afflictions. Why? So that we can comfort those who are similarly afflicted with the same comfort with which we were comforted. Oswald Chambers said, if God is going to use you, let me quickly read it out. He said he will take you through many things that have nothing to do with you. Let me quickly find a place. Oswald Chambers said, if you are going to be used by God, he will take you through a number of experiences that are not meant for you personally at all. They are designed to make you useful in his hands and to enable you to understand what takes place in the lives of others. Do you hear what I said? Sometimes the negative things of life, it becomes the thing that God uses to birth a beautiful thing on the earth. That's why many, not all of course, many healing ministers you see, they have been severely sick. Or they have come from families where there was serious ailment. Even if they were not personally severely affected. But they have had the emotional touch. So that when they rise up against sickness, their hearts are open. God pours in the healing and anointing into their hearts. So when they rise up, there's a kind of anger they have that helps the anointing flow. I like one thing, John G. Lee told one story he told. A woman he had prayed for for days. She was in pains, terminal cancer. Then one day, he was going back to her place and heard her crying. He said, all he remember was he running. That compassion gripped him. He ran back to where the woman was, lifted her up the bed where she was crying, shouting in pain, and began to weep. By the time he dropped her, she was totally well. He has been praying for this. <laughs> this time around, the woman was in so much pain, she cried out, and he heard it from down the street. Ran up, they scooped her out of the bed, held her, and began to weep. What am I going to explain? What is God doing? There is nothing that has gone on in our lives that he is not bringing resurrection out of. That young Indian girl said that thing, I never forgot it. Say, which day of your life would you like to erase? He said, none. Because if I like what I am today, my today's person was contributed by all the days. That if I remove any one of them, I won't be what I am now. 
But our message there is that Jesus, whatever he touches in your life, you understand my point? He, with the power of resurrection, he brings his own image out of it for you. So that, yes, you've had a lot of pains, a lot of disappointments, a lot of hurts, a lot of wounds and all of that. Jesus said, you don't understand. That is the very thing I need to create who you are supposed to be. Do you get my point? Those things come for two reasons. One, none of our problems. We're just donated our sacrificial lambs to them. Some of them like David, now we, and we call them. You know the beautiful thing about the mercy of God? Both of them, he turns them to the same thing. That's, that, that's what's called mercy. That's what's called forgiveness. I know you are the one that, you were the sinner causing all the trouble. Fine. I mean, you think God had to, you think God was the one that told Saul to go and kill people? Saul now. That was persecuting the church. God didn't send him on that errand. That was him sending himself. But you know, that became his testimony everywhere he went. He said, all of you have heard of my fame. You know, I excelled more than everybody else when it came to Judaism. My own was so serious, I was a persecutor of the church. You've heard my story. When Stephen died, I was there, guarding the clothes of those who were stoning him. Of all the people that are sinners, I'm the worst of them all. He said, now, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live... The point I'm making is that his past life, how negative it was, is a, is a launching pad for his present apostolic testimony. So everywhere he went, no, look, when Paul would tell, listen guys, forget all this noise you're making about Judaism. Are you, are you more Jewish than me? Was your father a Pharisee? My father was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. Which school did you go to? I was trained under Gamaliel. I excelled above average. Uh-uh, what are you talking about? When this new sex Christianity came up, I made up my mind I will wipe it out. Think I'm joking? Go and ask Stephen. Think I'm joking? It's Stephen, you know. Do you know the other people he took to jail that died there? He said, go and ask my story. So when I tell you Jesus is the way, you should know I'm not joking. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That when I tell you Jesus is the way, if I tell you Jesus is alive, you should know the fellow that's telling you cannot be joking. If I tell you I saw him on the road to Damascus, believe me, I'm not lying. Even if it was a joke, if I wanted to make money from the trade, are you getting my point? Why would I suffer like this? <laughs> you know, people have described the witnesses concerning the death of Jesus Christ. That is the death and resurrection, not death now. More importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said one of the things that gives their testimonies credibility was that why would anybody want to die for what he knows is a lie? Because they told them, just say it's a lie. He didn't rise up from the dead. They said, how do we defend that? And they died. It's one reason why God decided not to save. He said, this blood, I needed to preach this gospel. After all, there's something that Jesus did. I don't know why he did like that. Very funny. He, he rose up Nicodemusly. No, the, 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 the rise of Jesus Christ, it was not to everybody. It was just to selected people. His disciples, those who have been following him. And he selected them, they might be witness of his resurrection. And those ones, 
he made sure they couldn't doubt it. For your information, Thomas, there was nothing Thomas asked for the disciples did not get to. They saw him, they ate with him, he laid hands on them, he breathed on them. They felt the breeze. He cooked for them. Peter, have you taken? You want another one? Peter said, no, sir, I'll be fine. All right, went around, took plates, dropped it down, ate fish. They saw the holes in his hands, and he was eating. And he gave them, like, the way he used to teach them, he taught them for days, weeks he was with them. They wanted to say, guys, got to go. Then they followed him, then he ascended to heaven. And I said, everybody, go and tell the story. You know the truth? They will put them the David Paulson described one experience. That one of the ways they used to persecute the church, they would take a nursing mother, keep the baby in a cell, no food, no water, and keep the woman here. Her breast is getting engorged with milk, and the baby is crying for milk. You want to, she's hearing her baby cry. I'm not talking about one hour, two hours, three hours. The baby will cry until he wears out and stop crying. The mother's breast will be engorged. She will be crying too. You want to suckle your baby? Yes. Just say, Jesus is not Lord. And you say, Lila. <laughs> when you talk about trial, you know, when they are burning you with fire, that one is simple. To put a, a woman's child next door. Where her hand can't reach, and the baby is crying for milk. This baby is a month old, and the mother is here in pain, has the milk to give. All they just demand is that this story you are telling about somebody rose up from the dead, just say it's not true. The woman said, No. She will listen until the baby goes quiet, worn out from crying, from dehydration, from weakness. She won't know when the baby will die. But deny Jesus, she will not. They say, who does that for a lie? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Who will do that for something that is a lie? So when Paul will come and tell you that Jesus appeared to me and he's Lord indeed. He's alive. He will return one day. If you want to think he's joking, you just look at his history. You look at how he persecuted the church. How he connived to have Stephen killed. And the same person is now preaching the gospel he tried to destroy. A lot of people believed simply for that reason. I hope you're getting my point here. I'm talking about what salvation is. What is salvation? No, I really couldn't get into the thing. I, I well, fully. I think I began it anyway. All right. But at least we're getting the point I'm making. I think I hope I'll be able to continue to develop this. Or I may not even come back there. Just go and get uh, the, the series. The one I mentioned earlier. Perfecting the Lord's vessels. Yes, please go and get that serious. For us to understand that what God is doing is bringing the light, the image of Christ to be in the life of every person. Why did I read the one with the scripture we read concerning being a temple of the Holy Spirit? I want to emphasize to us again that what is he doing by that? God wants to live amongst men again. Like he lived through Jesus Christ. And as a temple of the Holy Spirit... We must keep it clean. We being the temple of the Holy Spirit, we must keep it pure. He said, let me just read that. Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. I'll, I'll, I'll end this one now. 
And if God allows us, I will come back to it. If not, we'll just go on to other things. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May the God of peace cleanse you entirely. That's what he was saying. Verse 23. Did I tell you 23? Verse 23. Now the God of peace himself, may he sanctify you entirely. How does he do that? May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what I want to bring out is that he brought up the issue spirit, soul, and body. That all of this must be sanctified. All of this must be cleansed. All of this must be kept. Last time I talked about what God is doing is to keep that clean body, that clean soul for us, that clean spirit. The reason why he's saying this is that, listen to this. I said it earlier. If we don't pursue this, we are useless to him. God cannot dwell in unclean vessels. I hope you're getting my point. Let me say this to you clearly and operate by it. You know, I think it was a person that told this story of a man that said, okay, I told this story a few weeks ago here. He wanted to go to, he wanted to know whether God was okay with him going to the movies. And person said, well, of course, as you understand, it's not everything you say yes or no in Christianity. He said, let us test it. Go with the Lord Jesus Christ next time. So the man being a, a young Christian, he didn't understand some of those figurative way of talking. He just went there and bought two tickets. One for himself, one for the Lord Jesus. He got to the counter, told the girl, they give me two tickets. The girl said, are you coming with somebody? He said, just give me two tickets. So they were watching the guy, he bought two tickets and went into the, into the cinema and sat somewhere and told Jesus to sit in the next place. And he watched the movie. At the end, he went back. He went back home. So when I met the preacher the next day, so the preacher said, they go. said, the Lord Jesus didn't like it. And that was, he stopped going. That was how he stopped down. He said, Jesus didn't like it. How did he, he didn't know, don't ask me, you know I wasn't there. Did you notice that? <laughs> what I want to bring up from there is this. Understand that wherever you go, Jesus is going with you. Whatever you are watching, he's watching with you. Whatever you are reading, you are reading with his eyes, not yours. Wherever you are going, we are going with his feet. Whatever you are paying money for, you are spending his money. Now, it is possible. It is possible to drive God out of his own temple. The glory can leave a temple. Even though you are meant to be the temple of the Holy Spirit... It is possible for the glory to live. Paul said, quench not the spirit. It is possible for you to frustrate. That's why Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and do what? And knock. Now, this is a point. What was he doing at the door knocking? I'll tell you, somebody ejected him. Normally, he shouldn't be out there knocking. He should have been inside there with them. But they had done things that kept him out. So he wants to get back inside. So he was telling them, if you want me back inside, there are adjustments you need to make. Let me summarize it like this. If you want to manifest the presence of God in your life, that's the way I'll put it, not just power now. If you want to experience and manifest the presence of God in your life, there is work to do. Let me say one more time. 
If you want God to really live with you and live in your body and manifest himself through you, there is work to do. There is work to do. What is that work? Purification. Purification of heart. Purification of the spirit. Let's, let me use the word that Paul used in that, first, uh, in chapter, that chapter 5 we just read. Is purification of spirit, soul, and body. Purification of body, that's part of it. Can I just drop this? Just a small one. That is why it's not everything Christians eat. It's not everything they put inside their body. Jokes apart. You defile the temple of the Holy Spirit with being given to wine. It's defilement. What does that do? Does it send you to hellfire? No, it just makes the body useless to the Lord. People have come and said, is smoking a sin? I used to say, it's not a sin as in, there's no Bible verse that says it is a sin. There's none. But I think you re- we have enough understanding to know that we are destroying what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Where I just disagree, people say that, <laughs> you know, how many people have heard of a D.L. Moody? And you know Charles, not Charles Finney, what's the name of the man that used to preach in, in London? Say Spurgeon. One day Moody came to London to see Spurgeon, and Spurgeon was smoking. You know, they opened the door, <laughs> and Spurgeon opened the door for, I think it's Moody, yes, I think it's Moody. And he had his pipe in his hand, it was blowing smoke. Oh, man, I go, you are welcome. You know, <laughs> imagine I want to start preaching here. I said, Pastor Kim, please hold my pipe for me, hallelujah. <laughs> so Moody was like, what? He said, how can you? A man of God smoke. What he didn't understand as was that Spurgeon was looking at him and said, How can you, a man of God, be this fat? Did you hear what I said? In England, you couldn't find a fat preacher. Not possible. To them, you eat too much. You're a sinner. In America, you couldn't find a preacher that smoked. What is the reason? You are defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. But Americans, they were born to eat. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Let me just leave it like that. <laughs> Americans are very large. So, for D.L. Moody, it was a normal thing. He was a large person. That's D.L. Moody. But he got down to the U.K. and saw a very trim and slim preacher who was smoking. Let me say something to you briefly. God may not say something to you directly. It does not mean you will not suffer the consequences. Because... If, unless I'm mistaken, Spurgeon suffers severely from gout, arthritis, possibly link, linked with his smoking. No matter how much you want to serve God, there are bad habits you must drop. I personally believe that this addiction to coffee is not good. A lot of people can't function unless they, they drink coffee. It's a habit, try not to form it, just sleep, sleep. Some Christians have adjusted themselves so much that if they don't drink coffee, they can't function. I don't think it's good for you. We can't call it sin. No, we're talking about sin and which one's iniquity. It's not iniquity like that. It is not a transgression, but it's not good for you. For, the, to, for you to manifest the fullness of the plan of God for your life, you have to be purged, spirit, soul, and body. Let's bow down our heads and give the Lord thanks for today. Let's just thank God.